Hello, good evening and welcome to Seascapes. For tonight's programme, I've been to the Southampton Boat Show, one of Europe's biggest, and I had a look around boats most of us can only dream about. Last week, I went on a day trip from Dublin to the Southampton Boat Show. It's the first time the show has been held in two years and it's the nearest thing we have to a boat show here in Ireland. It's really a vast affair, on land and on water. There were more than a thousand boats on the marina and hundreds of exhibitors on land. The boats vary in size and cost from a few thousand to a few million and most of them are out of reach for most of us so this is pure escapism. I went around and spoke to many people about their boats and what they had for sale and I started with the very largest exhibitor, the luxury Sunseeker Yachts. Okay, yeah, hi everyone. I'm Spencer Brown, sales director for the UK for this lovely product, Sunseeker product. Uh, made in Poole in Dorset and always been British uh, in its uh, origins, in the way we make boats and the location we make boats. So although the mother company, if you like, is now Chinese, all the boats are made in the UK still on the south coast yeah. in Poole and that's part of the, the heritage of the brand. You're the biggest exhibitor here in the Southampton Boat Show. Uh, I hope you're not referring to me. I hope you're referring to the brand. But yeah, it's true. Yeah, we are. We've got nine lovely yachts here uh, and various sizes. Our smallest sports sports, um, performer is called the Hawk 38, and that's 38 feet up to our 88 yacht, uh, which is just under 90 feet and a a splendid kind of flagship to be represented here at £6.3 million. Okay, talk to me about this one here in front of me, Mission Blue Monaco. Okay, yeah, that, so that's a lovely Predator 55 Evo. That's the baby of the family really now. Um, it's the smallest uh, yacht with accommodation that we build. Um, two cabins, uh, it's a Predator line, so it's more sporty, but also it's given um, it's itself to kind of a, a convertible uh, interior so that you can be have the inside sporty feeling or you can open it all up have the roof open the back open and it feels like a true open med cruiser how much are we talking about uh, so that's 1.2 1.25 xvat now if i the question i've had for everybody if i want to buy this boat it's made in the uk and import it into the eu what's my tax situation Okay, so you're, you're effectively going to buy a product that is manufactured in the UK and take it into the EU. So you can buy XEU, sorry, XVAT, and then you'll pay your local VAT where you're going to use the boat and any import duties that are due. Okay, and in Ireland, the import duty is 10% of the value. Uh, correct, yes, at the moment, yes. Okay. Hopefully it doesn't change soon. Yeah, well, I think it's the Manhattan 55. We're going up a step here. Yeah, we're going up the next step. The Manhattan 55... Uh, its predecessor, the Manhattan 52, was the most proliferous hull Suntica made, nearly 150 hulls. So there's a lot of 52s out there. The 55 came along as a, if you like, a, a revamp of that model. The hull was great. We upgraded the power. And inside, we've given the, the interior design real pop. It looks fantastic inside. Um, just giving it that, that sizzle that uh, the boat needed. Just standing here, it looks like a very upmarket wine bar up there. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, the lovely two, two seats at the bar really do make it feel that way and, and don't forget that, that those two seats are at the back of the galley so that galley doubles up as a bar and your food preparation area to serve whether it's at the cockpit or upstairs okay. lovely place to put the, 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 the galley you've got a very big glass side on it here 
Yeah, yeah, common to all our models now. Um, we make a lot of uh, glass as part of the design of the boat. So previously you had to have a small porthole because of the, the, the relationship of, of fiberglass strength to glass strength. Nowadays, obviously with glass technology, that's gone and realistically we can build a glass as part of the hull structure. Okay, okay, it looks absolutely stunning. And we're, we move on to the... We've the Predator 60, yeah. what we're looking on and looking at the 65 sports yacht. 65 sport yachts are really now, interesting. This one now catches my eye. Yeah, a really interesting one to talk about. So it's a brand new product. First time it's been seen in the UK, uh, and it's just been at the Camboat Show, so that was the first time it's been seen in the Med. As you can see, really sleek, fantastic use of glass down the sides. Interior-wise, a real step up again. So much detail, so much time taken in the interior design. It's unbelievable. This boat has the largest garage for its class. So you've basically got uh, the normal tender size garage plus another 50%. Okay, let's uh, go back there. Garage. garage. Tell me what you mean. Yeah, so it's got a lift-up section on the back of the boat. Okay, inside that you can keep your tender and your water toys. So instead of having it all on display like you do on a flybridge, everything's put away inside the garage, close the door, and you haven't got uh, kits scattered around the back of the boat, make, keeping the look of the boat really, really pure. What size of the tender are we talking about here? So on here you'd have a, up to a Williams 345. Uh, so it's a jet tender, which is th nearly three and a half metres long. Okay. Now, I just looking at the specifications here, 67 feet long, performance up to 35 knots, 750 nautical miles. Correct, yeah. yeah. And not only that, this boat has a real... There's a lot of driver or automotive influence design features on this boat. So if you wanted to look it up on, on www.sunsicker.com 65 Sport Yacht, you'd see the driving position on the fly is absolutely awesome. You get into it, you pull the wheel onto yourself, okay. the <laughs> dials are like a car. It's okay. beautiful. That, that's up high and there's another... Uh, steering position down below. Yeah, exactly. And then by the steering position, again, you've got that automotive feel, but in front of you is a single piece windscreen. Most, car, most boats have two or three pieces in the windscreen. You can see it's one molded piece of triplex glass. It's amazing. Unbreakable? Unbreakable, bulletproof. Okay. <laughs> Who, how much for this one? Uh, this is just over two and a half million pounds XVAT. Okay, and then we come down to. We'll pass by the Manhattan 68. Yeah, yeah. Looks beautiful. We go on to the 88 yacht, which is, as I said, the, the flagship we've got here today on display. Um, a really, really beautiful yacht. Four cabins, four ensuite bathrooms. Uh, um, the, the feel of this yacht is very, very luxurious. Every little piece of it can be specified by its buyer. Um, flybridge layouts, interior layouts can be changed. Crew cabin is for four people. You've got a, a storage locker for, for your water toys, such as paddle boards, diving equipment. A lovely thing called the Sunsicker Extend, which is a, a convertible uh, sunbathing area on the back of the boat as well. Um, so really full of features. Range at 12 knots, 1300 nautical miles. You're going to go down to Portugal before you need to fill up. Yeah, exactly. And that's the whole idea of this this yacht. You extend your legs of, of running so the crew can run the boat, whether the, the owner's on board or not, transfer its location very uh, easily and also economically. Would most people who run a boat like this have a full time crew? Yes, definitely this size. I mean, I, I, can, I know there are a few people who run them themselves, but it's, it's not just the driving, it's the looking after things, it's the care for things. That's the things that take hours of, of care and love, and that's what the crew really do. Yeah. 
What typically, where will this spend its life uh, now? It's, it's an enormous, uh, will that go down to the Med or will it stay around here? No, uh, there is one of these that, run, that runs in the UK waters from Lymington. Um, however, the, the majority are going to go to the Med, undoubtedly. This looks in place in, in, uh, in Antibes or, um, or Saint-Tropez or Palmer. Mm. Um, and great, great for cruising those grounds. You know, realistically, they're quite short distances. So if you think about that range we talked about earlier, you're going to get a lot of hops yeah. for your tank. No, I have a question. You don't have to answer this if you want. You've, have you seen The Wolf of Wall Street, the movie, and uh, yeah. the yacht sinks in the Mediterranean? Yeah, yes, could I that indeed. happen to this? <laughs> it could happen to any yacht, yeah. <laughs> Hopefully that was just CGI, though. Okay. Okay. <laughs> the ironic thing is that, um, that, the, uh, that these boats are made in Suntica, and Suntica is based in West Quay Road. So they, they, they do call me the Wolf of West Quay. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. And many thanks to Spencer Brown, the Wolf of West Quay. And the rest of us, really, we can just dream on. One thing that struck me at Southampton was that despite Brexit, despite the pandemic, there's still an awful lot of money in the UK. People were being shown around Sunseeker by appointment and business seemed brisk there and elsewhere. Now right at the other end of the scale as regards size are the hydrofoils, essentially motorised surfboards. I took a look at them. Uh, I'm Scott Stallman and the OTC, well, with the OTC, we own... Basically, it's a water sports centre down on the south coast of England, down at Portland. We range to everything from windsurfing, winging, kite surfing, supping, the whole lot. And now with the new new, yeah. new introduction of e-foiling. Okay, these have caught my eye. Yeah. It's like a small surfboard with a big fin and a little electric motor on the yeah. end. So what we've got set up is you've got your board, you've got your hydrofoil, and built into the hydrofoil you've got a motor. So basically you can foil with the power assist of a net of a motor and um, it's probably one of the easiest ways to learn to foil. Okay, so here we have one here. I stand on this, this will hold my weight, floating? Uh, yep, so it depends. This is quite a small board. Obviously we've got bigger ones around. Sure. Um, depending on your level, you decide what board to go on. The smaller board is more agile, you can swing it around a bit easier. Bigger board, easier to learn on. Okay. More volume. So I stand on it, what do I do next? So you've got a trigger in one hand. Okay. You've got a remote in one hand, it's got a trigger on it. You've got 20 gears. You start on level one. And then you slowly go through the gears until you get fast enough that the foil actually activates and starts to work. When that happens, the board's already playing in and you can lean back. The foil will come out the water and you're flying in the air. But what you have to do straight away is then lean forward again to counterbalance it. Okay, a bit like water skiing. Exactly that, yeah. We saw the video of Mark Zuckerberg on one of these things. Yeah. This is them? Yeah, that is them. How easy or how hard are they to master? They're, they're one of the easiest ways to learn to foil and uh, we do lessons that last about an hour and a half. We can take someone with no water sports experience, say they've got not very good balance and give it an hour and they're up, flying around, stood up, having a good time. Do you need flat water for this? Uh, ideally you can learn in flat water, which is best, but you can go out in the choppy water because where you're foiling above the water it doesn't matter where, okay. what the sea state's like. How much would something like this set me back? So you're looking at about 11 and a half grand. So they're quite expensive. Yeah, they are quite expensive, um, but you've got to take into account that you've got a big battery in there that costs money, the motor, the computer that reads everything. Okay. But I think you could probably see it dropping over the years. Yeah, and uh, how long will the charge last for me? You'll get about an hour and a half out of it. You recommend it, would you? Yeah, definitely. It looks really cool, but I wonder is it an awful lot more difficult than it looks? No, honestly, you can, I can promise you, I'll get you up and going in an hour. Really? Okay. Flying around, having yeah, a good yeah. time. What, um, what are they called? What's the company called? If we want to look it up, where do we so find you? The company's called Flightboard, and if you want to come and try it out, we're the OTC down on 
down in Portland. And the foils look really cool and I take Scott's word for it that they're relatively easy to master. But I was surprised how expensive they are, £10,000 plus. But as Scott said, as technology develops in the years to come, the price is likely to drop. Recently, I was sailing around the Fastnet Rock on a new boat, a Beneteau Oceanus 31, belonging to a friend of mine. It's a new design from the French boat builder, and I was so impressed I got James Curran of Beneteau to give me a tour of a 30.1 on display at Southampton. Hi Fergal, I'm James Curran. I'm the group manager of BJ Marine. We're the Beneteau dealer in the UK and Ireland, and we sell boats. Uh, so we're here at Southampton Boat Show. It's day six i think of a 10-day show and it's uh it's our first show in in almost two years so it's brilliant to be back out seeing people as safe safely as we can be outdoors this is an enormous event is it one of the biggest in europe it's it, it's a bit smaller than it used to be actually obviously there's uh manufacturers have been un, under pressure to get here but they they've they've all dug deep to put on this show so we're we're down on the water the sun is out and there's as you see plenty of holes for chandlery etc but down down in the water where the boats should be, it's, it's, it's a pretty awesome show. We've come here onto a new type of Beneteau and I particularly wanted to come on because I was on it a few weeks ago. It's Beneteau 30. Yeah, the new Oceanus 30.1. So um, our last boat show we were at was Dusseldorf 2020, where we had the world premiere of this boat. Um, this is the first time we've had it in the UK and Ireland. We do have a couple of them um, that we've sold to Irish owners already at home. So it's, it's our entry-level cruiser. It combines a really good, safe space cockpit, twin wheels and, and two really good cabins uh, down below for, for overnighting. It's simplified down below. Like you don't have things for ocean racing that you might have a, a chart table that you can jam yourself into. You don't need that. No. So what they've what they've moved towards now is having all the navigation equipment up by the helms, uh, so you can do all your plotting, all your um, nav from there. And and down below really is for. Um, eating and sleeping and uh, and hiding from the Irish weather if, if that's what needs to be done of, of a particular day. I sailed on, on one of these a couple of weeks ago. It's got a twin rudder. I mean, it's very easy to sail. Yeah, so the twin rudders you'll see on a lot of the... the larger race boats I suppose that sail around the world and, and it does two things um, it gives you more grip when, when sailing the boat so there's more in the water um, so you can actually sail sail flatter and it's a better sailing experience so you were out on the water I'm sure she felt nice and sensitive and you weren't having to wrestle the boat it's, it's a boat to be enjoyed sailing that is what I was going to say. There's very little weather helm, so you're not fighting the wind. It, you could almost, in a moderate, even a stiff breeze, you can almost take your hand off the wheel. Yeah, so by its nature with the twin rudder, rudders, if the boat does lean over, what you're actually doing is digging your lured rudder into the water more. So it's giving you more grip, more riding moment. And uh, again, you're not, you're not left wrestling your boat. You're just left to sail your boat. Yeah. It comes in different keel versions. Yeah, so we have three keel options. Um, we've the, the lifting keel, which I believe is the one you uh, yeah. you sailed. Uh, we have a shallow keel, and, and then there's the standard deep keel. For Irish waters, um, most of our owners are going with the standard deep keel, but for those who are looking to go exploring into some nice little nooks yeah. and crannies and beaches, the lift keel option is, is fantastic. Yeah, with the people I was on with this now were really impressed by it. Yeah, it's it's something we've um, we've been screaming at for for years. The the previous model to this boat was actually in production for twelve years. So Beneteau knew that if they were going to replace it, they had to 
you know, justify replacing it. It's, it's sold over a thousand units. If I, I want to order this with Brexit, with everything else, how long before I can get the boat? So most of the boats we have on the stand here, we've actually sold out our order book for 2022 already. Uh, so we are now taking orders for 2023. I suppose we've been th we've all been through a lot over the last couple of years. And, and one thing from an Irish point of view is uh, we've seen a huge reconnection with the water, whether it's people sea swimming or paddle boarding or, or sailing and boating. Um, what The people who are buying this boat are... There's many, many different types of people who are buying. There's um, people who are looking to do single-handed sailing. There's family cruisers. There's people who are downsizing from a bigger boat because it is so hand, uh, easy to handle. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think we'll see a lot of these around the marinas and, and moorings around Ireland in the coming years. How much would this set me back? This boat well specced with what we typically expect for, for a boat at home. You'd be in around the €140,000 fat paid delivered. The, the ordering, everything is sold out until 2022. Why is that? It seems to be the same if you want to buy a rib, if you want to buy anything to do with the water. There has been a surge in demand, but it's been a global surge. So every every country is seeing a reconnect with the water. Um, and, and as a result, people haven't been going away on holiday, so they've been looking for... Uh, Different, different solutions. So, in the same way that uh, mobile homes and, and caravans have, have apparently there on similar timelines, um, yeah, our, our boats are just just incredibly popular at the minute. And thanks to James Curran of BJ Marine, get your orders in fast. Now, going down in size and expense again, I went to have a look at paddle boards, which have exploded in popularity over the last couple of years, and cost-wise, they're within everyone's reach. Yeah, so my name's Tony Jones. I'm actually the managing director and owner of the SUPCO. Uh, we're the UK's largest paddleboarding specialist. You have here a whole range of paddleboarding. It's it's a huge craze. Yeah, and to be honest with you, it's now much more of a much more than just a craze. It's a sport and a leisure pastime in its own right. One of the things really that you can kind of give to its growth and its success really is female participation mm. uh, so many marine pursuits whether that be you know wind powered sports such as windsurfing or kite surfing or sailing even really tend to be quite male dominated but paddleboarding has kind of come along and turned that all on its head but that's still to say there's still a lot of male participation mm. but it's just got such broad appeal to so many different categories and it's just so accessible it looks kind of easy but i've tried it it's not as easy as it looks well fergal come and see us and we're, we're going to help you in that respect but the uh, but no generally a lot of people take to it very very quickly uh and it is something that you progress with very quickly and i think it's the ability to actually get to your feet and paddle and just access the water in a very easy way that really has just attracted a lot of people you have a whole range of ones here paddle boards here what should i be looking for if i'm going to buy one so what we've done here at the southampton boat show is we've bought with us uh, a very broad selection of inflatable paddle boards the reason why we've done that is really because of the space confines on a motorboat or a sailing yacht uh, to give people the ability to store something like a paddle board on board is much easier when the product's inflatable um, in terms of what to look for, well, the old adage of what you pay for is what you get has never, ever been truer than it has been with an inflatable paddleboard. Um, there is a 
a lot of inferior product out there. We'd certainly recommend talking to a specialist and a local retailer, some of the bricks and mortar presence that really would be able to best advise you and find something that really meets your requirements and your budget. What's the difference between an inflatable and one that's not inflatable? Yeah, so the main differences between an inflatable and a composite board really is the ability to shape it. So at the heart of every inflatable paddleboard, you'll find it's a, really a product called drop stitch. A drop stitch material is flat on the top and it's flat on the underside, whereas on a hardboard, a composite board, the shaper can shape the board. They can uh, put different concaves, convex shapes into the bottom, uh, harden up the rails on the board, and really that makes a big difference to the overall performance of the board and how it feels and how it works in the water. If I'm a beginner, do you recommend an inflatable or a composite? I mean, as a beginner, there's no, we kind of get asked the question around, can I have a beginner's board? And there's really nothing such as a beginner's board. I mean, ultimately, any board is a compromise. And it's the, as a result, the biggest category is what we refer to as an all-rounder. And that's something that's a jack of all, something that can really do a bit of everything really well and work for a really broad range of people. Size-wise, those boards tend to be somewhere between 10 foot 4 to 10 foot 8 overall in length and roughly 32 to foot 34 inches wide. And it's width that really plays a big factor in terms of overall stability. If I get an inflatable, it packs down easily into the boot of the car. Oh, without a shadow of a doubt. I mean, everything... A boot of a car or in the cargo hold of a plane, everything's pretty much sub 90 kilos, no bigger than a meter, you know, manageable. You'll find some packages uh, just come with a backpack system. Others come with a backpack system and on wheels as well. So it's really easy to reach, you know, those different areas that you, we've all got around us to get on the water and enjoy paddleboarding. Many thanks to Tony Jones of Subco. And I met many more people at the Southampton Boat Show. We'll hear from them over the next week or two. Closer to home, yesterday, the Court of Appeal again overturned a ban on large trawlers fishing close to our shores. Since then, already today, there's film on social media of big trawlers fishing in pairs very close to our shores just this morning. It's an area of huge concern for coastal communities. Holly Kearns is the Agriculture and Fisheries spokesperson for the Social Democrats. I suppose just to rewind a little bit, the, the law Banning trawling by large vessels in coastal waters was designed to ensure sustainable fishing and to protect the livelihoods of small-scale and island uh, fishing communities who rely on inshore fishing. The High Court ruling was overturned on a technical issue rather than the law not being fit for purpose. So that technical issue was that communities weren't properly consulted with. This created confusion and uncertainty in the sector as well as ongoing damage to fish stocks. The, The government... Uh, introduced an interim ban on large vessels fishing inside that uh, six-mile nautical zone. But this week, um, there was a refusal by the High Court, uh, sorry, by the Court of Appeal to continue the government's interim ban on large vessels fishing inside the six-mile nautical zone. So I've highlighted issues around large trawlers who are fishing inshore on coastal waters since the High Court overturned uh, that policy directive, the 2019 one, that did exclude those vessels over 18 metres. You know, I have real concerns now that this has been overturned and, you know, there's no law preventing this very harmful practice because the impact of this on the type of fishing on, you know, for local enterprises, for the ecology in the area, there's also issues of, you know, fishing in special areas of conservation, which are worrying for everybody. I say this really because I'm reflecting on concerns of constituents who contacted me, many of them fishers um, who are really concerned about these practices. And a lot of them want to remain anonymous, but also 
The National Inshore Fishermen's Association and the National Inshore Fishermen's Organisation have highlighted the importance of the policy directive in preserving their livelihoods. What we saw last year when this ban was first lifted was very large trawlers operating in tandem inshore in bays around the south and west coast, carrying very large nets between them, fishing for sprat, which are very small fish, but they're a non-quota fish, which means the trawlers can take as much as they want. Much of it goes for animal feed and for fertiliser. It's absolutely, it seems, unsustainable. Exactly, and you mentioned the very large nets, but the spaces between the the net, you know, itself is so small that more than sprat is being picked up. So it's damaging enough to be removing all of the sprat stocks from that inshore area because it has a massive ecological impact and therefore on all of the other stocks that, like I said, the inshore fishing community rely on. They're also hoovering up loads of other ecology because of the size of the net. So another thing that really needs to happen is more oversight of the use of nets and what types of nets are being used because if you saw it, the, the nets that are being used next to kind of a coin for scale, you'd realise how much is being hoovered up from our inshore fishing area. And it's, it's really, really worrying. Where is legislation on this? Because the, the court didn't strike down the legislation per se. There was a, an issue of consultation with communities involved. So the government appealed that court case. They didn't bring in new legislation. It's unbelievable that they haven't because, like you just said there, the reason for this law being overturned was not because it wasn't good law. It wasn't because it wasn't absolutely necessary to protect our inshore fishers. It absolutely is. The reason it was overturned was because of a technical issue that communities were not properly consulted with. And and that wasn't done. We see that time and time again. What grounds did the Court of Appeal give yesterday for overturning this ban? Basically that, you know, legally there isn't kind of a leg to stand on, you know, the the government messed up when they introduced this law by not consulting with communities and they allowed the interim ban. But ultimately, of course, by now, the minister and the department should have reintroduced the law and properly consulted with communities. It appears that has yet to be done. So it is really a failure of government, um, you know, not of the, the legal system. I presume their hands are tied in relation to this. They allowed the interim ban. Something should have been done in the meantime. OK, so it means that government can go back and introduce new legislation. They absolutely need to reintroduce that law. Um, like I said, it, it wasn't overturned because of any fault with the law. It was a technical issue. So that they haven't gone about reintroducing it, I think is quite surprising to most people and is of great disappointment uh, to fishing communities and to people working in, in tourism and marine areas as well. You know, it's, it's really not good enough. Why, why did we wait for this to happen when we could have been reintroducing the law? And thanks to Holly Cairns. It's an issue we'll be returning to. Now that's it for Seascapes for this week. We're back at the same time next Friday. Everything on the programme's podcast is on our website, rte.ie slash seascapes. If you want to contact me or the programme, the email is seascapes If you're anywhere on or near the water over the next week, stay safe. Seascapes is presented and produced by Fergal Keane.